I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome. Like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. What's up? What's up? What is up? What is up? What is up? What is Go- up? Going off track episode number something something something, something probably. Mm-hmm. What's shaking, everybody? 80, I'm gonna guess it's eighty six. Mm. I'm gonna guess it, this one will be eighty nine. Yeah, or eighty eight. Two hundred and eighty nine. I don't know. Man. We're getting close to two hundred. We, we're gonna we did, we're gonna plan something special. We haven't started actually planning it yet. It'll but, come out during South by. I, I figured you did. Okay. Yeah, I'm planning to start planning it soon. You. Should. I have a plan oh, to good. start planning it. That's a good plan. Yes. A good plan. Um, the guest will be Simple Plan. We're playing live. <laughs> just Yeah, just interviewed. Quebecois! I just interviewed Simple Plan. They're very nice. Yes, I talked They're to always, Ch- always very nice. Chuck guys. and Pierre. What's up, dudes? Very nice. It'd be fun to get them on. Yeah, I love those dudes. Yeah, they're very nice. Uh, today we have Brad and Steven. Hi, and me. Oh, that's the we guest. Are. We're the guests. Hey. I wish you guys were the guests. What are we going to talk about? <clears throat> um, I just I, ranted the last one about Republicans calling me for money. Yeah, but that's like normal for you. We, should we do it again? Yeah, we could you, We could rant about them all the time. Brad, what do you think about Republicans calling and asking you for money? I, you know, I feel that everybody deserves to live on this earth equally. Don't they have all the fucking money and not the point? Yeah, exactly. And the people Hello? who vote for them You're don't have going, any fucking man. money. They don't have any money, but they support their right to take the Us money. people with landlines. I just heard about um, uh, <laughs> Pfizer, the pharmaceutical company Pfizer, Ow. Uh, combined with, you all right, Jonah? You just bang your face in the just microphone? Just my face into the mic stand. That's so awesome. <laughs> Good, because that, that story wasn't going anywhere. <laughs> it's going to be about a tax break for a giant corporation, but I, you banging your face is way funnier. Yeah. I sacrificed my health <laughs> to stop me from talking not the first time comedy is tragedy and timing last, there, there last was. intro i spilled just dumped a, <laughs> a cup of coffee on myself and my phone this one i just smashed my face into the mic stand. welcome to jonah's physical comedy show yeah welcome yeah welcome to the physical comedy show you can only listen to uh, it's today, really the best kind of physical comedy today in the podcast uh our friend ned russum he plays bass and sings in a band called title fight they're a very popular band, mm-hmm. anti-records. Um, their latest album's called Hyperview. It's really good. Um, Can't you say Epitaph even if it's anti? Anti? I don't know. I mean, I, yeah, same. That label was created for Tom Waits. You know that, right? Was it? No, I didn't know. Yeah, that. yeah. Uh, I don't know, dude. I just know a label they're on. You know what I'm saying? It's anti Epitaph. It's all Brett. It's all Brett. <sighs> you know it all. Did you um, know Brett? Were you on Epitaph? No. Who were you on? 
We're on reprise. Oh, that's right. Oh, we would, Blackout was our indie record. Oh, really? Yeah. Right on. I didn't know that. Oh, we met the dude from Blackout here. Yeah, Bill. Bill. Bill yeah, Wilson. when are we going to do a podcast with I've Bill? I've been friends with Bill Wilson since, you know, 1992 or three. Oh, yeah. Which is probably when... You know what that the, means, right? Probably when... Friends with Bill Wilson? Oh. Oh, wait a minute. Yes, I do. <laughs> 92, yes, 93 do. is probably when Ned Russell was born. Yeah, probably. <laughs> Seriously. Yeah, I think he's like 25. <laughs> um, Thanks. Thanks for that. No problem. <laughs> yeah. Anyways, uh, I met Ned, I think, through the Pianos guys. He's super nice. And he's if ri- young. If he's very young, young guy for a baby. Young, for but a he's been playing in this band child. for a long... Since 2003. Since he was in middle school? <laughs> yeah, probably. His older brother's in the band. He's also really into memes, as am I. So we have a lot in common. Memes are fun. Yeah. Good. I send him a lot of memes. I'm, whenever I make a meme, I send it to Ned, and usually... How do you define memes? How do I define What's them? What's your favorite? You're not allowed to make any noises. And you usually wear white face paint. But you I have to do everything with your hands. That's pantomime, Bradley. <laughs> pantomime. Um, but yeah. I got, uh, I got a meme right here. You do? But I'm going to read it. Because I think you'll love it. Yeah, great. Meme. In fact, I think Brad should read it because it's going to make him laugh. You have to describe you what it You have to describe it, it first. So this is obviously a like, you know, 50s clip art of a mom serving a cake or battering a cake and her daughter looking on. She says, Mom, I think... Need some glasses? I think I, I think I love a drummer. And Mom says, you were always such an idiot. You were always an idiot. <laughs> Sorry, it took me forever to read that. It's kind it of it makes it better. The awkwardness <clears throat> adds to the humor. It's one of those fonts that's uh, we call it Comic Sans. Comic Hello? Sans, the font that no longer exists. And this is thank you for listening to our new segment, Brad Reeves and Meme. <laughs> <laughs> We're gonna do this every goddamn episode. Every I have episode. plenty of them. Great. Uh, without any further ado, meme meme expert and awesome dude Ned Russum from Title Fight. What's up? Uh, I'm Jonah. We're here with Ned Russin from Title Fight. Hey. And I'm Ned. guest host, once again, Benny Horowitz, Gaslight Anthem. Um, world citizen. Bottom feeder, world citizen. <laughs> uh, I guess Antarctica now. Antarctica, yeah. I don't know. I, Sometimes. I saw, I was just in Gainesville, and I went to Aerozame Records, and they had the new Antarctica. Oh, cool. Right up on the wall. On the wall? On the wall. Goodness. That's yeah. Good spot. Yeah. That's the place to be, man. That's the hot attention. Yeah. Usually the wall records, though, are like, those are like the ones that are going to cost you a few bucks if yeah. something's like up on the wall, right? Does that D- mean? Depends. Yeah. that's either like the old vintage one. If it's a used store, you know, the wall is, that's the. They did yeah, have, that's it was the a pricey mix. stuff. Dangerous It was wall. like new releases, yeah. but then I think it's like maybe owned by No Idea or something, because then they'd be like, this is a $30 Lesson Jake record that's right. super limited. But aren't all new releases these days? You to, fe- can you move that closer? Oh, yeah. I feel like I can't get a new release that costs like under f- fucking 50 bucks now because it's always like 180 gram double yeah. wax, but which is really cool. I'm glad people are getting into it again, but right. it's, it's getting costly. Yeah. It's even costly it's, to make. Yeah. Yeah. It's rough, especially with a record habit. And it takes forever to get them made now. Like when we had our yeah, last record so made, bad. they were it's like, crazy. you have to get it to like the the company like six months in advance yeah. i don't think the industry is caught back up with with the demand like they i remember yeah. when you know everyone started doing vinyl again there was pretty much like two two vinyl houses that had survived and were still yeah. like actively printing and i don't think 
it definitely certainly has taken longer for people to to build places that can make records yeah, than, crazy. than than the demand for it. Are mm. you a big uh, record collector? Yeah, I am. Nice. What what do you think your numbers at? I don't know. I, I kind of have my collection split right now since moving to the city. I have left, I don't know, maybe half of it at home of just stuff that I'm not going to listen to all the time or mm. I don't want to look at. Was that a hard, because I, I did that too. It's kind of a hard decision to go through and be like, I think I need this. I don't know if I need yeah. this. Especially because, you know, I'm a collector, so I have whatever, anywhere from three to like 10 copies of a single record. Right. Oh, so it's like, right. oh, do I really need to bring every color of this record? <laughs> it's like, I kind of want to, but it's really dumb, but yeah, I'll do it anyway. What's your like, what's your kind of niche? Is it like old rev stuff? Yeah. Is it, that's, yeah. Like, that's like my I didn't my mean main... to like pigeonhole you, but that's kind of no. what I was thinking. No, that's the uniform choice, I feel yeah. like, shirt really. Yeah. That's that's my my main focus is you know rev stuff basically you know the uh, the this second wave in in quotes there of okay. hardcore you know like eighty five to ninety or something okay so is that is that what it's it's so deemed what about, now like, second what a, wave kind about, of yeah so it's like Makes pre sense. it's like post like like post- judge but like pre in my eyes. It, it, yeah, like judges is in that vein, judges but it's okay. it's weird because. But even wouldn't that like even predate like Gorilla Biscuits? Gorilla Biscuits is at the, like the tail end of that. Yeah. It, well, they the thing is they started kind of in the beginning, in, they were in the middle really, and then they didn't put out a record until oh, you right. know, a couple till whatever eighty seven or eighty eight. But yeah, it's weird, especially uh, this book came out last year called uh, New York Hardcore nineteen eighty to nineteen ninety mm. by Tony Retman. It's really cool, but it's funny because they even talk about it in the book, but you know, the first wave of hardcore ever was supposed to end in like 83 and then the second wave is 85 and then all those people are like, oh, it's, you missed the good old days. Like it's yeah. so completely different. It's two years away. Yeah. You're at this bold show and they're like, you missed it when yeah. like it was cool. Everyone, everyone deals with that. I dealt with it. Like, yeah. like everyone, it's one of the things I've almost modeled the way I am now is to try and not be like all those guys that made me feel like <laughs> shit about my music, yeah. you know? Because especially around here, you know, I, I was coming up and I was into a lot of like the straight edge stuff, victory stuff, like things like that, which all the old New York hardcore guys were super averse to at first. And they're like, oh, fuck you. You don't like Warzone. You don't like Agnostic Front. You don't like Chromags. This isn't hardcore. And I'm like, but I really like Snapcase. I don't know. <laughs> right, they're right, awesome. Right. And, yeah. and like I try so hard not to be that guy now yeah. where you grew up in wilkesbury area yeah. what was like for you when you were growing up what were like the big bands in that area that was like was it like digger weren't they from that area they're, they're <laughs> that's a deep cut man they're they're or, uh, not deckard <laughs> uh, yeah yeah uh i'm trying to think of other pa bands uh weston yeah weston, weston, sure. um they're from about an hour or so away okay. so the thing that's weird about are they like the, a Lancaster band, Weston? Yeah, uh, yeah, I think they're from uh, from Allentown. I okay. could be wrong. Yeah, that makes sense. I might be wrong on that. Um, but yeah, so the weird thing about Wilkes-Barre and, and the surrounding area, Wilkes-Barre, you know, is is basically taking the place of all the small towns around it. So not everything happened in Wilkes-Barre, but it's the same thing. So as, you don't you know, have to say Wilkes-Barre. Yeah. People have been telling me for 100 years I'm a dick for saying Wilkes-Barre. Wilkes- you- yeah. And the, you're, are you're talking to about the pronunciation? It. Yeah. Yeah, the pronunciation. Well, that's, that's a whole nother conversation, but yeah. Let's oh, have okay. it. Uh, so, so here's the thing. Wooksbear is, is the town. You know, if you're f- most of the people that I know from the area say Wooksbear. 
Okay. But there's there's uh, I think three possible pronunciations. There's Wilkesbury, Wilkesbury. Yeah. Which is according to the information that I received, that's the proper pronunciation. It's okay. it's two French guys' last names, and then uh, uh, what's the third one? I say Wilkesbury, Wilkesbury, and Wilkesbar. Oh. I don't hear many people say Wilkesbar. That's like a a real towny pronunciation. Sure. You know, but um. Is it like a lot of the Pennsylvania towns? Like it's old, like German, Dutch. Yeah, exactly. So maybe bar was like kind of the Euro yeah, way of probably. pronouncing it yeah. or something. Yeah, I don't hear many, you know, young people say it. It is mostly, you know, older probably. I can't imagine a lot to... of kids from Wilkes-Barre are like too tied into their German descendantry at no, this point. No, yeah, not at all. But yeah. <laughs> so I think what I was originally saying is that is uh, the, the scene of, of Wilkes-Barre is... It's pretty small, even though it's been around since the early 90s. So there were always shows and there were always some bands and stuff. But when I was coming up, going to, starting to go to shows in whatever, 2003 or something, there weren't a lot of, you know, really Wilkes-Barre proper bands. Mm-hmm. That, you know, like, we're from Wilkes-Barre. We play every local show. This is the scenes band. Right. It wasn't really like that. And there were some bands that had been around for a long time, but... When I was starting to go to shows, it was just a lot of smaller bands and a lot of uh, just kids my age or a little bit older playing in local bands and stuff. And then maybe two or three years after I started going to shows, um, there kind of seemed like a, an identity of Wilkes-Barre bands and labels and stuff. So that was, that was kind of in my you know time of going to shows that happened, I think. Right. I was thinking it's interesting in your perspective because me... Because Ned is, like, legitimately, like, a generation different. Like, me and you sure. are basically... I just turned 36 over the weekend. Basically the same age. Yeah. Happy like, birthday. How, thank you very much. You're I didn't like, know that. 25. Yeah, happy birthday, you're 25, Bob. yeah. Thank you. Um, so, yeah, like, that's, like, 10, 11 yeah. years. Um, and you guys... But it's crazy because Title Fight, I feel like, has been around. So You guys formed when you were, like, seven years old, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> six. Six, six. Okay. Um, but, yeah, it's interesting to me, like, because it's... I feel like, um, like for example, you guys did a record with Walter. Yeah. Um, you probably were into Hot Water Music, but you were probably into like the later records compared to what I was into yeah, just because ex- yeah, that's, that's what you that's heard true. first. And yeah. it's not that those records are better or worse, but it is interesting how these bands that have been around for a while, like so much of it's informed just by yeah. your age. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's weird. I was just listening to uh, Damien from, uh, we can curse on this thing? Oh yeah. Dude, totally. All right, Damien from Fucked Up's podcast, uh, and he had Fred Armisen on. Oh yeah, and he really? talked about yeah, it was a good interview, but he talked about Probably getting not into, as good interview he had on this podcast. But definitely yeah, not. No, no, nowhere near. <laughs> but uh, they talked about getting into Husker Du, and he taught Fred talked about becoming friends with Bob Mold, and he basically said like, "Oh, you're what age are you?" And he said, "Oh, whatever you know." And he's like, "Oh, this is what record you got into," and then you got into this record, and he basically called him out on uh, what records he liked, but just by how old he, how old he was. Totally. He's like, yeah, that's totally right. It's, it's true, weird. though. I think I think that is it is interesting how it informs you. I, I always get mad at people my age saying that they hate Metallica Black Album. I'm yeah. like, bullshit, <laughs> you hate Metallica Black Album. You were 10, just like me, when you yeah. heard those fucking songs on MTV. You didn't know what the fucking Justice for All was. You didn't yeah. know yeah, these yeah. records. Like, be real about it. Like, we all came up on the Black Album unless you were listening to Kill 'Em All when you were, like, seven. 
you know? And I think people need to be, like, realer about, like, proud of, like, whatever. I love the Black Album. Yeah. yeah. Record's badass. Yeah. And I don't even care if it's the worst one or the best one. It means the most to me because it was my introduction to Metallica. That's important. Yes. You know? Did you, um, when you started playing drums, were you, like, really into playing the intro to Sabatrue? Dude, I can play Black (laughs) Album literally, like, like, eyes closed, one hand, I can play that that record, I know it so well. That was a very drum-centric intro, and I feel like you didn't hear that a lot. Dude, when it goes... So sick. Yes. I love it. Ned, spoiler alert, 10 years, you're gonna hate everything. So you're in it now, that's good. I I'm, feel like I got okay. so jaded when I hit my like mid thirties. It's so hard for me to find new bands I like. Yeah. I like Title Fight, but um, yeah, it's hard. It gets hard. I, I literally just had this conversation last night. Really? Yeah, with guys who are like thirty and thirty-one. Okay, you know, I and, find myself as into music, but like I don't have the capacity for as much as I used to. Where like. You know, I would go to the record store like once every couple weeks. Like, yeah. what's out? What's new? Like, every band's new thing, the newest seven inch, like they have a song, this and that. And now I find myself still liking records, but like digging deeper into like a half a dozen records over the course of like a year rather than like, you know, going from thing to thing to thing. And that's what's changed the most with me. I don't know what the reason that is or like what kind of age thing did that to me but that's like what i turned into yeah i don't have such a voracious appetite as yeah. i used to i feel like just being into music in general right now is hard just yeah. because of the total overload of information you know that's true mm-hmm. that's true we had very limited options i felt that's like. the thing like this and even even when i was coming up is like yeah. i had one cd you know and i would listen to it until i could get another cd or whatever right, you know? right. and that's it so it, it's not like i was doing anything different but i was probably listening to a different medium than people a couple years older than me you know whereas cassettes or records a couple years before that but you know but still pre-streaming yeah Yeah. now it's like i i really this year and and the year before i've really been trying to keep up with current music because i kind of feel like i owe it to myself to do that not just like not not for any other reason than i i just i'm a fan of music you know right and it's like i just want to hear what's going on and, and there's so much stuff going on it's really cool and I, I'll go down like a rabbit hole for whatever a couple hours on my computer and find all these new band camps of bands and their friends and, and whatever and find all this stuff. And then it's like, all right, I have twenty new records to listen to. It's like I don't I'm not gonna be able to get through this. Like, yeah. It's and insane. how could you really pay attention yeah. to that? I, I wonder and, and since you're from a place like like Wilkes Bear, I'm so glad I can say it like that. Yeah, man. <laughs> like I didn't realize That's, I've yeah. been using like the Almost the bougie pronunciation yeah, of Wilkes-Barre the whole time. That does not surprise me. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> um, mm, yes. But, uh, like, one thing we've even talked about in the past on here is how one of the cool things that it, we always noticed in, like, the 90s was, like, that scene sprouted up. Yeah. Always, you know? And, like, to each one of these scenes, there was always a group of bands coming out. By the time you heard of them, they all had kind of the same vibe, because they'd come up in the same thing and they were very insulated and they yeah. learned off each other. They played shows with each other. They recorded in the towns they were from. And Wilkes-Barre is one of those places. It always had like this small group of like promoters and record yeah. label people and band guys Definitely. that were small. And 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 sometimes I feel, I, I don't think one way or another if streaming is, is positive or negative for for music, it's hard to tell, but... Do you think like it's eliminating 
some of that because you have so much exposure to different scenes like anyone who who records a demo you have exposure to when back in the day only the demos you would hear would be just bands around you and you would all take from each other yeah definitely and this is this is something that i I probably spend too much time thinking about (laughs) because as i get older like i'm still into all the stuff that i was when i was younger but you kind of have to justify it in a certain kind of way i feel like you can't be like oh i like I like to listen to like garbage can music because it's like badass. You know, it's like it is badass, but like I can also justify why it's badass now. Right. So the thing is like looking through the history of music, you see all these things of of the idea of of like localization kind of falling apart. Yeah. And you know, it's a thing of like where you can I can be from Wilkesbury, Pennsylvania, literally middle of nowhere, nothing no uh really important aspects about the town. And I could be like in a New York hardcore band. Right. Or you could be like from the Midwest and be in like in a DC sounding band or something. Yeah, you can that's have like, true. And so I think because of how, how it just everything has spread and how, I don't know, it just how, how everything has become available over yeah. the years. Like the idea of having... Accessibility. A, yeah, definitely. Ex- yeah. It, the idea of having like a local identity has kind of, to some degree, fallen apart. You yeah. Know? And it's, you know, I not for good or for bad you know it's just something that happens and i i'm definitely interested in the idea of having a local identity and having that kind of mentality and scene and stuff i think that's really cool mm-hmm. but i think it might be outdated at this point yeah. i think it might be impossible to to curate we it's talked about this with um with denver from desperate yeah. and that was so wild too because it's like what was that like being like your scene was just like tim casher and kind of robers and yeah just yeah. local dudes yeah yeah it's it's interesting to hear that because I've also been thinking about it a lot, and it's it's almost sad, but probably true in the idea that like maybe it's an outdated model yeah. at this point, and, and and you might be right. Like, so where does the new like localization come from? Is it like like a, a chat room that maybe. like everybody that's hangs a, out yeah, in? That's or the thing. Like, is like I think the like the idea of local stuff is like social media. Yeah, you know, it's like local jokes that you have with your friends and like whatever. I don't have Snapchat, but I was told that you can put a, a like a geo whatever. What do you call that geo cache thing or something? Like I'm in Brooklyn, and like a Brooklyn thing comes up. Oh, you know, like that's that's 2015 localization. I guess so. Because the other thing that I felt like not sound like oh, back in my day, but like me and you, like it's like you just buy whatever came out on Victory or Epitaph or Fat, and you'd be like, oh, I'll I'll, I'll probably like, like chances yeah. are I will like yeah, this. yeah. like. Unless it's like Baby Gopal or something. This will be something I'm really into. <laughs> that was a curveball. Yeah, that was, that was a curveball. Curve. Every once in a while, you'd get one of those where you're like, uh. But, uh they had to keep Shelter from jumping one more record. Totally. <laughs> that was it. Totally. But now it's like, even like Epitaph, like, you know, it's like they have pianos or Joyce Manor or whatever. But then they also have bands that I'm sure, like, I don't even, and never heard of that I right. would, yeah. you know, that are yeah, just totally doing something different. Well, it's interesting, yeah, because I guess like Victory used to have to cater to its own fan base. Yeah, right. You know, it'd be like I need to sign bands like this because this is the people who know Victory who buy these records, and yeah. now each of these labels can now follow the major label model, which is what's the most popular. Yeah, let's get one. Yeah, yeah, know? yeah. Totally true. My, my uh, I have three other brothers, one of which plays in Title Fight. Uh, my my middle brother, who's not into punk or hardcore. Who I I always preface him as being the, like the real weird Russin. We, <laughs> like we think we're weird because oh like we're into punk and hardcore, but he likes classical music and Gregorian chanting, and he's like he's like real he's crazy. He's the one who actually he's does like the true thing. freak. That's yeah, it. Yeah. <laughs> so right. he's he's studying for his PhD in musicology right now. Wow, and he's like you know brightest guy I know, and I always try and pick his brain about music and stuff. And uh, 
his his like big one of the big conversations we had recently was that the idea of having a diverse musical palette is a completely modern idea. Mm. You know, the idea that you can be into his thing was like you can be into like Stevie Wonder and you can be into uh, like Led Zeppelin and you could be into Taylor Swift and they're all like normal things. And that's a completely modern thing because we have access to all this stuff and because it's like accepted to be into all this stuff mm. now because of it. And it's weird how yeah. that has changed. It's like in the last whatever, 10 years. It's funky. It's, it almost contradicts something I've been thinking recently, which is I, I had actually I was listening to someone else's podcast about our relationship with with like media and technology yeah. these days and how something like Twitter, just for instance, like. If you only follow your friends, follow your family, and follow celebrities and politicians that you're like-minded with. And I guess it works that way in any social media where, like, usually the people that follow you and the people you follow are in this sort of like-minded group of individuals. And because of it, because you're never being challenged, because you're never hearing this outside thing... That everyone thinks they're being so individual, but you're actually becoming conformists. You're actually becoming exactly what this group of people is expecting you to be and needs you to be in order for them to keep following you and in order for this thing to exist. But then, so that's where I think like sometimes social media is turning everyone to a conformist. But then we bring up the point where like your brother is saying this idea that you can now listen to whatever you want. It's not pigeonholed into one thing and like one person can be like, I like this and this and this and that's fine. Yeah. So you're like a conformist in one way, but then it opens yeah, up it's an interesting point. all these other doors yeah. where you can think for yourself because you have all that accessibility. It's confusing. Yeah. <laughs> I saw something a couple of years ago. I was on the subway on like the L train and there was some dude across from me who was like reading like the book I was reading at the time. He was dressed kind of like me. <laughs> And I remember looking at him being like, you're just like a fucking tool of marketing. Like, (laughs) you're just doing what you're supposed to be doing. And so many people are having the same exact experience of you. And there's nothing unique about you. Like, you think everything's... And it, like, really freaked me out. Yeah. Like, I was... Or go on tour, right? And look at anybody you stay with. Go to their apartment, right? And typically on tour, you're going to be staying with people who are punk and hardcore kids. And go look at their book collection. It's going to be... And go see if 50% of their books are the same shit you have, that mandatory punk rock reading material that you needed on your bookshelf to be what you're supposed to be. And I've always been concerned with that aspect of punk and hardcore. It's always bothered me. Yeah, It's always bothered me that I go to hardcore shows and I've been going my whole life and I've been seeing 90% plus white middle-class men, you know, middle-class and up men in this scene that I love so much. And the fact that, like, we are conformists just on a much smaller level. And And the fact that I actually decided to be original and not get fucking Liberty Spikes and not X up and not do all this shit when I was a kid, I didn't get as much credit as the guys who did, even though I was doing more. Because I didn't dress like it and because I wanted to be an individual. And it's almost like... If you're trying to become successful in anything, then your individuality starts to hurt you yeah. a, uh, more often than not. And it's, it's, it's tricky. definitely loaded. Yeah. You know, because har- the idea of punk and hardcore is to be counterculture and to be, you know, to recognize the conformity in mainstream culture and be like, oh, I'm not like that. Mm-hmm. But then there's such conformity within it. Yeah. Totally. And it's, it's also, I think what you're saying too is like that 
an element of like preaching to the converter where even if you're saying something like don't be racist don't be sexist it's like you're saying that that's cool but you're saying it to people who all are going to agree with you and it's almost like low-hanging fruit in a way it's almost like it's easy you know you're going to get positive like no one's going to be like debating you yeah Yeah. that's the thing it's like who like if you go to a whatever hardcore show this weekend the chance of you seeing like somebody talking about like uh you same-sex marriage or like like police brutality or or just like acceptance of all people you know like there's a there's a high chance of of that happening and i think there's a an extremely slim chance of anybody at that show saying anything other than like yeah right i agree right. you know right. it's just like totally it's yeah like of course it's it's a it's a noble effort but it's right. such like a you know such an easy target yeah sure yeah I feel like, I, but uh, maybe that's just a symptom of just being just super jaded. And like, whenever anyone says anything, I'm like, yeah, of course. You know what <laughs> I mean? Like, obviously. Well, yeah. I mean, it, it's interesting when when they're not. I mean, you get into something like, say, for instance, I I was into like animal rights before I was a hardcore kid, right? Yeah. And that was actually one of my attractions to that thing. I was like, oh wow, like that's part of it. That's cool. Like dudes are vegans. Like that's crazy. Yeah. And like. I feel like people, it's almost like teachers, like how teachers start with a good intention. So many go in with this idea to save the world and save children and mold people's minds. And then once you get caught up in the system, you're in the gears, you wind up being a little jaded and you're like, okay, this is a new group of kids who I have to pretend that they give a fuck for the seventh year in a row. And now, <laughs> now I'm like, ah, I'm not going to yeah. try as hard. Cause what's the point? And I could see that in like a punk hardcore enclave too, where like, if you are around things that are challenging you, then like you are bound to think about your own situation. Think about the details. Think about how you want to fight for it a lot more. Maybe that's why they say punk rock died after the Reagan administration. <laughs> Some people yeah. say that. And I was always, you know, waiting for this thing during the Bush administration. I was always waiting for something that I thought was going to be like a new revolution in music to happen that never happened. Yeah. And, uh, but is this just like a general apathy in like that scene or is this like a general apathy of just people or like Americans at this point? I think it's like neurological because like, you know, like what you were, what, what you were saying about like you know sort of like the diversity of music is a newer thing like i read this book like this is your brain on music and it's uh-huh. i'm sure your brother read it and sort of about like how your synapses work and how what you're listening to and yeah. those are sort of forming sort of are what you're into life like i you don't meet many people are like i'm 30 i've just like got into salsa music yeah. like you know what i mean like i'm sure it happens but and i feel like it's politics i like that too it's like you sort of become not set in your ways and i'm sure i know people but i feel like it's Political, when you're talking to someone with the opposite political views as you, like, you're not going to change their mind. Mm-hmm. Like, those things are, like, be also, like, music kind of become ingrained in, like, your personality. And it's, like, you sort of identify with that. I feel like that's why people get so kind of stubborn. Sure. Yeah. It's kind of scary. Yeah, it is kind of scary. Well, I mean, I guess it, it's that thing, too, right? It's, like, people, if they're pushed have a tendency to push back. No one likes to be told what to do. Right. And I feel like it's a problem I have with with liberals and atheists and animal rights people 
which generally fall under the punk and hardcore thing these days, is that they have such a rigid attitude that it's become just as divisive as the thing they hate. Yeah. You know, and like, how are you ever going to fight fights like this? You're not going to change people's minds. I didn't have to become 18 years old to realize that people think what they think and I'm not fucking smart enough or have some nugget of wisdom that's just going to like convert people. I'm not that arrogant to think that I do. Yeah. And I've definitely found through the years, I mean, that say for instance, I was in Louisville on tour Louisville to talk about town names that I always fuck up. Is it is like Louisville? Like Louisville? people from there are like almost like Louisville. Like I don't even know what to do with like the UIS. Yeah, and it, I'm just confused. <laughs> just take it out. But I don't know if it's because like how I looked or just my general vibe, like getting into this cab. But I took a cab from like an airport to a venue. I had to fly into a show, and the cabbie just goes straight into some really racist shit. Not sure why he felt comfortable with me to do so, <laughs> not realizing he has like a like diehard liberal fucking Jew in his back seat, you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> like, just because I have a mustache and I look like a biker doesn't mean I'm racist like you. And, you know, my first instinct sometimes is to be like, I fucking idiot, you know what I mean? This right. guy's an idiot. Like, and I want to just like lump him in with this like group of people I honestly don't know fucking anything about, you know what I mean? I'm yeah. from central new jersey i was raised in this environment that's just so unlike something he was raised in i'm not going to pretend to understand his reality and instead of like combating it as i normally would i actually like i was like oh yeah like why you think that you know oh for real like that's crazy you know and i'm like letting the guy talk and letting him work it out and like after about 10 minutes he's picking up he's like He's like, you a liberal, ain't you? <laughs> and something like that. And I'm like, yeah, yeah. And and I'm playing devil's advocate with him. I'm like, oh, what do you think about this? What do you think about that? Maybe that's the case, you know? And I have no idea. I don't think I fucking changed the guy's mind. But I do know, like, I walked out of that cab and, like, I didn't have, like, a disgusting experience with this guy. And I feel like even if, like, a small shade of him has, like, this idea that, like, oh, those people, like, some of them are okay. And, like, the idea that, like, I can see this guy, and even though he has, like, an ass-backwards racist attitude, maybe he's not, like, a horrible person. Right. And maybe he's misguided. Maybe he's ignorant. Maybe he's never been around. The same way you take, you know, go to a a hardcore show with 116-year-old white kids from the suburbs and try to... You can ask them about the the urban black experience, and they'll have all the right answers, but you put them in it, they don't know what the fuck to do. Yeah. They're just as isolated. They just have the right things to say, right? Yeah. And it's very scripted, too. Yeah, exactly. You know, it's, it's, it's especially like in my experience is seeing that stuff, it's like hardcore is, is very righteous in the idea of like, oh, like we support the, the whatever, you know, the downtrodden and all this stuff. But then like so many of those people are just like misogynistic and and super fucked up in that regard and it's it's weird yeah you know to be like i feel like as as i get older i'm becoming more self-aware of not only my situation but like the situation as a whole and i think your experience is like that's definitely true you know you you don't know what other people are feeling or their experiences or whatever and i think that's good to consider but it's hard it is hard it's much easier just to be dismissive and be like yeah Yeah. this person's i'm smarter than them like they right yeah yeah but it I mean, what do you, this is the, just a complicated thing to get into. Sure. I mean, do but, you think, like, say, like, 
we're we're both in bands that a lot of people listen to and like like is there anything that like the people actually delivering the music could like do especially to, that, for, for that, you because your fans i don't i mean i guess both of your bands fans that you have fans who are pretty young i mean older yeah. fans but also like sure. a large contingent of, that's a thing and like something that 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 it constantly happens like because so you know i grew up going to, to punk and hardcore shows where violence wasn't uh you know ubiquitous but it was also it was something that occurred from time to time you know and it was just thing like oh there's a fight whatever we're not gonna let it ruin our time like don't shut down the venue yeah just take it outside right. and it's the thing like as i've grown older my stance on violence has just become like that's completely unnecessary regardless if you take it outside like that's just stupid right and so um you know we used to play and a fight would happen or whatever and we would just keep playing and act like it didn't happen just like to the idea was to not bring attention to it and right. to not like like warrant their behavior with some sort of response and then we we just got back from a tour that was really cool we d- uh, it was our first south american tour we ended in sao paulo brazil cool and like the end of the first block of songs there were these um these monitors in front of the stage and they allowed people to get up on them in stage or whatever but it was kind of you know it was crowd monitor and then the stage so mm-hmm. Um, this kid like hopped up on the monitor and, uh, and, uh, there were these group of girls that were right in the front and center, right in front of where I was set up. And I don't know what happened, something where a girl tried to get the guy down or what, but this guy looked a girl in the face and just kicked her like right in the face and then dove off. Wow. And I stopped and I was like, listen, you know, this is not a place for violence or revenge. And I just like, I, I said something really quick and then I thought like, does this really make a difference? You know, like I, I believe that I said something that mattered to me, but I don't think that this is going to stop anybody from like punching somebody else in the back of the room. Right. And it's like, I don't know. It's, it's like a very hard line to walk, especially cause the thing is like, I don't want to tell people what to do. Right. You know, we had this conversation when we yeah, spoke last time. Yeah, I was thinking about yeah. that. Last time we talked, all that stuff was happening with like Joyce Manor. Yeah. The last yeah. thing I want to do is be like somebody who says what you can and can't do at a show. Right. I don't think you should inhibit on other people's like personal space and or safety. But I think like there is a, a there really is like a safe and responsible way to act at a show where you can like have fun and go off. For sure. You know? Right. And yeah, it's just, but it's a it's a very hard balance because Yeah. Yeah. You don't wanna Yeah, to me like that stage diving thing was so difficult because I was like, yeah, it sucks if you're getting landed on and, and it's so much of it seemed to be like context like what kind of a show it is yeah but also like if you make things too safe it's kind of like you can i feel like you lose something yeah like there should be like i remember going to shows when i started out and like it was a little scary and that's kind of what was exciting about it that's the thing it's it's weird it's it's um i'm thinking right now of this um of this essay i read by david foster wallace and he, it's um it's in the book consider the lobster and he's reviewing he's literally reviewing a grammar guide which is awesome like yeah. david foster wallace my favorite writer he had, is really that the sick. book where he had the thing where he went on the cruise ship no that's another book okay but uh it's it's the same way it's just a collection of his nonfiction essays so he's reviewing a, a grammar guide and then he gets in a thing about abortion and he talks he like has this little aside in this review of a grammar guide which is so insane to me and he talks about like how if you are not pro-choice and pro-life at the same time like you are not human he's like if you can't sympathize with people who say like Mm. you know a life is a life and you can't sympathize with people who said like it's your choice then you're weird like you have to see the 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 truth in both sides 
And that's like, I, that's what I'm thinking when I think of the situation, like, is like jumping on somebody's head wrong? Yeah. But like, have I jumped on people's heads and had fun and all parties were safe? Yeah, I have. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, it's like, it's, it's, I don't understand how to, to, you know, go on either side and say like 100% is, is the truth. And we had it's, talked when you came on, it was like, you guys had used to have like a policy where you would only play shows. was like only no barriers only no yeah. barriers mm-hmm. and then i feel like that's also something where i'm sure as you guys have gotten to be a bigger and bigger yeah. band like that's it's, that's not really realistic yeah and the thing is like the band that i always bring up and the band that is impossible to compare anybody to is fugazi you know and a band that that played their own shows at whatever venue they could mm-hmm. with no barrier for five dollars yeah. yeah and they enforced like a no stage having policy yeah which is insane yeah I think like everything Fugazi did, I don't think it could ever happen again as much as I would like it to. But the thing of like, and they did it in a way where, you know, you, I've only seen it in videos on YouTube, obviously, but when somebody would come up and they would say like, we don't allow this at our shows, here's your $5 back, please leave. Yeah. You know, like, I don't know how, like, that's so genius. It's genius, you know? but like, I, I feel like Fugazi did have a unique independence yeah. that a lot of bands didn't have. And, yeah. you know, and they are, I feel you, you know, cause anytime this conversation comes up, they are the benchmark, right? Because they are the ones who actually like, besides for someone like Morrissey or something, yeah. they're the ones who actually like took a stance. This is the way we want our shows conducted. Yeah. This is the way. And I do feel like, when I was coming up, Fugazi was like the anti-hardcore band. Yeah. Like if you were like a moshy hardcore kid, yeah. fuck Fugazi. So like so many of the know? older guys that I know are like, yeah, fuck. I, lo- I love my threat. Never got to see them. Fugazi was around, and yeah. I don't like fuck them. Yeah, you know? exactly. But and then, but on the same token, I feel like they lost people that maybe wouldn't have liked them anyway, and the affection they got for people who were like-minded to them is like hardcore. Yeah. I mean, I know people who are, like, still, like, Fugazi is their band. And maybe it's because, like, it's not only the music, it's because they never compromised a moral value that a lot of people yeah. would like to believe in. Yeah. You know? Like, that, that's like I, I don't know how you could be in a band and not feel guilty that you don't do everything the way Fugazi did it. You know? <laughs> right, yeah. It's like, whenever we get stuff about touring, it's like, oh, we're playing, like, it's $15 again, like... How did Fugazi do it? Yeah. I'll never, like, I'll never understand. It's amazing. Yeah. So it's a mystery of modern science, you know? Yeah. You, you, you told me, I feel like you had to yell at someone at a show yeah, recently, I, which is, as a drummer, I'd imagine that you like don't, can't do that very Very often. seldom. <laughs> yeah. Very seldom. But it was, it was like a show where it was like possible to do because there was no barrier. The guy was super close. There was just like, it was possible. You know, some shows I'd be like yelling across and 20 people would be like, what, me? Yeah, You know, me? Did I do something? (laughs) And we do have a problem with that these days because we have a bizarre mixture of fans, you know, like, and I've seen it, I've seen it a lot now. I've seen the the guy who used to come see us in like 06, who like wants to rip around and fucking do what all of us have done at shows, which is completely normal to me. Because that's the way I came up and going to shows. Yeah. But then I watched some like two ladies who clearly don't go to hardcore shows 
like front and center on their Saturday night. Like, and I'm not to say these women, they should be able to have a good time. You know, they should be able to drink their drinks and enjoy the music the way they feel suited to. And then a song starts and I watch some kid fucking crank her in the face by accident. And she goes crazy because she just got kicked in the face and she doesn't know the environment she's in. I don't know why I keep saying this is a woman. It could be anyone. And like, (laughs) but more often than not in our situation, I've seen women at our shows try to fight kids and like these things pan out. And I, I, even to the point where I've had to uh, start a precedent where we talk to security prior to the show being like, do not kick kids out for doing this stuff because it looks to security as if the kids dancing around are like fucking with the people more often than not, the people who are complaining should probably just get out of the way in, in this instance. Yeah. So I've had to like inform security, not every person, because I've watched kids who have done nothing get kicked out while I'm playing drums. And that frustrates the crap out of me, yeah. you know, because it's like, to me, the most unfucking punk rock thing <laughs> ever is kicking a kid out of a show for dancing. Right. That kills yeah, right. me. It kills me to even think that I could be a part of that. Yeah. You know, but it's it's a tricky like mix. Well, especially I'd imagine, like, as you become a more popular band and, like, you know, have, like, ma- like you have, I'm sure, like, fratty dudes at your shows who never went to punk shows. And it's, like, you don't want to, like, turn anyone away. I'm sure you want to be inclusive. But yeah. it's also when you get such, like, someone who doesn't have the context, I'm sure, it can be very confusing. Yeah. And it's like you're saying, like, the quote you were saying, David Foster Wallace, it's like, I understand both sides. Yeah. I understand them completely. You know what I mean? And from my end, I want these people who want to have drinks and enjoy music to have a great show and be able to just yeah. do that. And I want the kids who want to flip out, and that's the way they're expressing themselves that night, to yeah. do that. But I don't know how to make them peacefully coexist in the same place. Yeah. I have no fucking it's, idea. It's hard. Did it's, you? Oh, go ahead. What, no, no, no. I, get, I, I got just, nothing. That so. made me think of that. Um, <laughs> someone recently sent me, I hadn't seen it in so long, that, that commencement speech. That he, David oh, Foster this Wallace. is water. Yeah, this is water. Yeah, that was so awesome. He's. Have you heard that? No. Where was that? Uh, Kent State. Yeah. He did. Yeah. He. It was like his only commencement speech. It was uh, sometime in the mid two thousands, like three or four years before he killed himself. Wow. What it's was just, it? It was like he's like, there's two fish and they're swimming by. Yeah, it's it's the fish. Uh, the story. It, it, he starts off the thing like because the thing he's just so intelligent. It's beyond me you know like his vocabulary but he so he starts like you know you start off every commencement speech with a uh i i think he's like a didactic little Mm -hmm. parable or something so (laughs) there's a story of uh two fish and they're swimming and an older fish passes them and uh and he says how's the water boys and they say what the hell is water (laughs) that's the joke yeah you know (laughs) and then he goes like on this crazy 20 minute speech about the nature of knowledge and yeah that's awesome yeah. He's so good. Yeah, he is so good. I I um yeah, it's interesting to me. It's like I wonder I had this talk with my friend. I have a friend who's like loves David Foster Wallace too, like has all these signed first editions. Oh, like, really? He's obsessed, he's like a yeah. collector. But yeah, he we were talking about it's like he was so hyper intelligent. You're like, I wonder if he just had life figured out so much. He was like, This is fucking totally pointless. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know what that, I mean? I mean, like that's his his whole is is uh posthumously uh, published novel uh pale king yeah it's about like i i have it i haven't read it yet i'm working through his other stuff first i did infinite jest first by him really i tried about four times and failed 
right when I moved to the city, I didn't have a job. I literally, my, my job was reading and finish. I'd wake up and I'd read for eight hours and I finished it and I finished in two weeks, which is like absurd. No way. Yeah. Did you do the footnotes? Yeah, I did everything. (laughs) But but yeah, so, but, but so, you know, the pale King, like I'm working to get to the pale King, but, uh, it's a book about boredom and like how we cope with boredom and just normal, like how, how you go through your life knowing that basically you have a job to do. You have to uh, provide for yourself and if you have a family and yet you have to maintain a level of sanity and you do this just day in, day out. Like, how do you cope with that hmm. as you just get older? And in the middle of writing that, he killed himself. Just in a, in a context of not knowing, was he was he a, 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 a man of God or not? He uh, he kind of was. Um, yeah, really? I didn't know yeah, that. Yeah, he was like, uh, his parents were... I don't know if I'd say they were atheists, but they were definitely agnostic. And like he, uh, he went to the Catholic church like later in his life. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. How, um, when did you uh, move to New York? Last August. And you were in Pennsylvania up until then? Yeah. The whole time? Yep. How do you, how are you finding it? I like it a lot more than I thought I'd like it. Yeah? Yeah. I, I say this a lot, but the thing is being in a band and coming to New York is one of the worst experiences you could have. Sure. You know? The worst. Yeah. Like parking, uh, trying to find a place to sleep. Uh, show usually sucks too. Yeah, the yeah. show the shows are weird. New York is, yeah. uh, and I can say this now about like going to shows in New York. New York is so hit or miss. Where it's like there there's so many different options of how your show can go. It's like your show can just be amazing. You know that's that's an option, and we've experienced that. Your show can be packed, and it could be people just like standing there with their arms crossed. Like oh, I'm, I'm supposed mm. to check out this band. Look, <laughs> yeah okay i'm here you know right. and then there's like sometimes it's industry stuff and it's like uh, there's there's literally an infinite amount of possibilities of why your show could be great or why it could suck yeah you know and then on top of that like the tolls to get into new york suck yeah the traffic sucks it's like it's such a nightmare and so every time i came to new york for the longest time it's just like great going to new york this sucks and then the first time i came um without the band without uh without a car even was i went to uh the rev 25 shows Mm -hmm. at irving plaza and my girlfriend's aunt and uncle live up in uh like westchester or something like south salem i think they live Mm -hmm. and uh so we like drove up there stayed with them and then took the train every day and not having a car and just like walking around taking the train i was like oh wow i get it yeah new york's all right you gotta hustle it you know i was just thinking um you you also sometimes work at a venue, yeah, doing stuff um, where Derek works, Webster Hall, sing, yeah, yeah, singer for your band. Uh huh. Um, I didn't even put that together. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. Um, and but I feel like if you lived somewhere else, like I mean, I'm sure it's like part of it's like cool to to do, but I mean, I'm sure it's like you probably wouldn't have to do something like that if you yeah. live somewhere where your rent was like three hundred dollars. Yeah, I mean, Booksphere is like. I can't even tell you how stupid cheap Booksphere is. Yeah, you know, I'm sure. like not only is rent cheap, but everything is cheap. Like food is cheap. Yeah, uh, whatever. Just, just every, everything is is so cheap. So to go from that and to be like, that's you know, that's why I have a record collection. That's why I have a, a t shirt collection. It's like, oh, I like live at home <laughs> right. and I'm like going on tour and we're doing all right and I have nothing to pay for. Yeah, yeah. So oh yeah, I'll buy this like couple hundred dollar record. I'll buy this shirt, no problem. And now it's just like. I can't even look at eBay anymore. It's like, yeah. I, know, I can't stop myself, so I just had to cut it out of my life. What was your kind of incentive for, for moving here and, you know, having been someone who probably is sort of on tour a lot? Yeah, I, I moved here for my girlfriend. She's going okay. to grad school. Gotcha. So she she applied to a couple of different places, got in, 
Um, the other option was to move to Savannah, Georgia. Hmm. Uh, and that, that was like her, her first choice. And she got into the school and she got a scholarship and she, she did really well. And then we kind of sat down and had a conversation. It's like, well, we could go to Savannah or we could go to the other school that you got into. And you also got a scholarship from, and you're also like, is a great school and it's in New York what about New York? Yeah. And, and we kind of thought about it and like, oh yeah, we can move to New York. And when she, she made this, cause I was basically just like, wherever you go, you know, like I'm, I'm just along for the ride. I'll go with you or whatever. Right. When she made the decision to, to go to New York, it was this weird weight that like lifted off my shoulders. Like, oh my God, like I'm not going to move to Savannah, George. Like this is, this is awesome. Yeah. Yeah. And at that point it was like, I'll, I'll do anything. I don't yeah, care. Talk about a different experience. Yeah. It would have been. Yeah. Oh my God. We we visited the school down there, and it was cool. Like Savannah is a cool town, and it's it's, pretty. it's based. It's very pretty, and yeah. it's based around like the school down there because it's you know it's a young population of kids that come in every semester and every year to to go to school. But then it's so weird at the same time. Yeah, we played yeah. there. You and played there like last year, I think, with like or with pianos. We went to his pianos, and we were touring down to fest or something. We played a show. I feel like I've talked about it on the podcast, but it was one of those shows where like opening bands are like just very local opening bands and the bass player had a wireless bass and went oh. up the stairs outside the venue was walking around i lo- like i zach, love the wireless system dude, it was zach's like texting me he's like did you see this i was I like love I guys some who guy. own the wireless yeah, dude, system this like guy that went around the block like still playing like <laughs> the uh the, the best wireless system usage i've ever seen in my entire life was uh my oldest brother alex's got married uh two three years ago and like half they had this like really actually awesome wedding band and uh, they all had wireless and they'd walk out in the crowd and they'd like solo next to you and all this and like give you the mic and stuff. And uh, like they wait for everybody to get super drunk. So it was like, you know, three quarters of the way through the night and there's a balcony in the, in the reception area. And the guy, the singer goes, everybody look up in the balcony. It's Jimmy with the trombone solo. And everybody turns around and cranes their neck. And the dude is up there with the wireless mic on the trombone doing a solo. Yes. And it was, you know, I was stone sober and yeah. I was so amazed i just like lost it it was so and everybody else that was drunk was just like thought it was magic it was it was like it it made me reconsider my stance on wireless you know like (laughs) have you considered it since no for like that instant yeah i was like oh my god wireless is like the only option what's like like when you're thinking of like your wireless fantasy what's like the one thing you're like man if i had wireless i could do that the only thing i don't think of i could do that the only thing i think of like Wow, if I had wireless right now, my cable wouldn't have been ripped out of my amp, well, yeah. and I'd be standing there naked for 30 seconds. But I feel like there's seconds. so much other Instead stuff Instead, you get a, a fat man who creates a signal problem. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> stuff like that. It's pretty funny, man. I, uh, I saw Warrant when I was in college at a frat party at Cornell. Wait, Warrant <laughs> at a frat party at I, Cornell? I wrote an essay about it, actually, for my zine. Maybe, the other, maybe Ross did. One of us wrote about it, and we had photos of it. We went... This sort of relates to wireless, but this is also just an incredible story. <laughs> we heard. I was very into Warrant growing up. Like I was very was into him. all of those bands. Me too. Um, and uh, we heard Warrant was playing a frat party at Cornell. We went to Ithaca College. We we're like on the other side of the town, and so we drove over to this frat house. They had tons of frats at Cornell, and it's a huge house. And there's a tour bus parked out front. And we're like, oh my god, Warrant's playing! And we go up and we're like, we want to see Warrant. And they're like, well, it's kind of a private party, and we're like. We'll each give you 20 bucks and they're like okay cool <laughs> so we go in we go in the backyard and they have like a sound booth tent set up and they have like a stage they've 
erected. <laughs> and uh, we're hanging out. Everyone's drinking beer, whatever. And, you know, it gets dark and Warrant comes out and they're all in matching Warrant baseball jerseys. Wow. And it's, you know, I don't know how many original guy, but Janie Lane is, you know, who has since sure. since passed away. Um, and he came out and they played like a full set. It was awesome. I mean, it was like... How many people are you talking like? I would say... 100 to 150 people. I mean, and wow. I mean, cool. you know, they must, I mean, they must have had a lot of money, but I remember him being like, you know, like it was kind of weird because it was like, this song's called I Saw Red. I wrote about this girl who's like a fucking bitch, you know, like, it was <laughs> like yeah, yeah. so, like, you know, like taking it down, like to put like heaven and stuff. And then I remember they like, that band Lit was really big. Uh-huh. They're like, this is a song by our friends Lit. And they played like, <laughs> they did a Lit song. They played that, but I do remember, this isn't wireless. I, I don't think it was wireless, but I remember Janie Lane at one point going over to the frat house and some dude in the top window of the frat house just pouring beer into his mouth from like three stories up. And I was like, this is oh fucking awesome. This sounds like a scene from Hot Tub Time Machine 3. Yeah. Like, this really <laughs> happened. This really happened. I was like, I mean, I was probably like 21 or 20. So yeah, it was probably like 13, 14 years wow. ago. But yeah. But yeah, I remember being like, just watching this dude pour beer into his mouth. And just the fact that's that you cute. have a story that's like, I paid off a mm-hmm. frat boy. You know, to like weird? go see Warren at an <laughs> Ivy League school too. If yeah, I'm not Ivy mistaken. League school. Yeah. You know what the interesting part about that is like I think talk about this a lot too. Like I feel like I have so much anxiety now and like I'm always thinking about stuff or worried. And I felt like when I was like younger or like in college, I would just do stuff like that and it would be like let me just try this. If Whatever, it doesn't work, we'll it doesn't it work. Out. Who cares? Yeah. Whereas now I'd be like, How are we gonna get in? Like blah blah blah. Yeah. Like I would be so nervous. I was like, Oh, what if like they get mad at me? Like sure. And back then, I was just like, fuck it. Like, I'll do it. And half, most of the time, it works out. Yeah. I mean, if it's a consolation for you, not knowing how I would have got in would have kept me at home when I was 16. It would still keep me home. Yeah. It yeah. Would probably I, ne- keep me- I never was bold. It so would if keep that, me home now. Makes yeah. Feel better. yeah something I, I try to be bold, but you it's seem not like my nature. We don't know each other, but you come across as a really nice guy to me. Yeah. And that makes me think I, you would be you. uncomfortable with the frat guy hustle as yeah. I would. The, I, I like, I'm trying to kind of open myself up to like new experiences. And, and really the only thing that's ever done for me recently is like when I like see somebody semi-famous, I've been able to like try and talk to them like a normal person. Okay. That's cool. But other than that, I'm just, like, completely timid and afraid at all times. I do, too, but I try to just remember, like, this is just, like, a person like you. Like, literally, they're just, like, they're not, you know, like, you're. they're just doing the same thing as you. And that's, like, um, I just try to keep that in mind. Yeah. Because it can be so intimidating walking into situations. Most of the people that I've ever seen have been music-related because of being at a show or whatever. And so that, that, like, the biggest one for me is I met Ian McKay, and that was, like, I had to give myself, like, a 20-minute pep talk to go and talk to him, which was completely the best experience of my life and totally worth it. But I like the whole thing is like his whole idea is that he's like, you know, normal guy. Yeah. So like, why can't I talk to him like a normal guy? So I'm like, all right, I got to go do it. And I talk to him. It but, reminds me of like, maybe this was something actually David Foster Wallace wrote where like, he was talking about like viewing other people as like, not as like obstacles. I don't know if it was him, but I read this thing where it was like, instead of like people being in your way and you've got to like, get like like, oh, this person's making me late because they're too slow, like, viewing them as, like, these people are that, doing the same thing I am. That's in This Is Water, yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's in This Is Water, yeah. Okay, yeah, and that, like, for some reason really stuck with me yeah. as well. Like, that's a yeah. really... Cause that, yeah, the whole thing about that is, like, he, he has this funny little aside in the in the middle of the story about 
um, you just got off work and you're, you realize you don't have any food and you're really tired and hungry to go to the grocery store and you have the grocery cart with the, the janky left wheel and you get stuck behind the woman in the, in the line or who's talking or whatever. And like, and basically just like talks all this shit on like the, the people who talk in grocery stores, like the people driving SUVs, like driving really slow. And he's like, but then you have to think maybe that guy driving the SUV is like taking his son, uh, for, you know, like medical treatment and like the woman right. in line, like, her husband just got laid off like mm-hmm. it's, you know just envisioning what what other people have to go through or whatever and it yeah i think that's a good that's like a very drastic representation of it but yeah it's like everybody goes through the same shit it's uh, true though i mean and i've know. even i i've had that you know i've played devil's advocate for people too who have who have told me oh i met this guy he's a total dick yeah i'm like how long did you talk to him they're like, oh, no, I just, like, said hi outside of a show. Yeah. I'm like, not only did you not talk to this person, <laughs> that motherfucker could have had the worst day of his life. Yeah. He could have literally 30 seconds before gotten a call that his 18-year-old cat, who he had since he was eight, <laughs> just died. <laughs> and totally. he's on tour, and his wife is burying it in the backyard. Yeah. And you want to talk shit about, like, his new record. He doesn't care. For this small moment in time, yeah. he doesn't care, and he should be allowed not to care. But yeah. then people hold like those people to a standard that are like, "Hey, I buy your records. I go to your fucking shows. I buy your t-shirts. You're gonna give me five minutes, right? You know, and you're gonna give me a nice, friendly five minutes, or yeah. else I'm gonna talk shit." And it's like I, I always think about that when I meet people. I'm like, I, I don't until like the third time I meet someone, I don't have an opinion anymore. I'm just like, all right, like let's give it some time. Let's see, you know, the real, real yeah. colors shine through. And any, everyone's full of shit anyway. That's that's yeah. where I think like yes. you can't even know if a person's a good friend of yours or something until you're in a situation where they need to like show what kind of friend they are. Yeah, you can never know it until you're put into that situation, right? Yeah, so true. it's like I think we do a lot of, uh, and this is I, I say this from personal use too, like to uh, not be an overjudger <laughs> yeah. based on what you see, you know. I do it too. I have a thing about rich people. Huge chip on my shoulder about fucking rich people. I don't know what it is. And it's not like I was raised like in the fucking hood or something like that. Like, you know, not raised rich either, but like, I don't have a real reason to be so, you know, violent against these people. And I am, and I'm super judgy. And I see like, you know, I go to Short Hills Mall in New Jersey, which is like the rich people mall. And I see like the suburbs and the people shopping at like Cartier and like stuff like that. And I'm like, I do. I have this instant feeling of fuck that person yeah. that I have to reason out of myself. But my first instinct is like super judgy and mean. Well, it's interesting. Yeah, this is sort of what we were talking about last time. Like, I do think like you know people be like, well, Johnny Ro- John Lydon, like that guy's actually rich. Like all this stuff, it's like you, that like negates what you've done in life <laughs> right. because your parents are rich. And it's like yeah, but like you were born into that, and like you still have to like live your life. Sure. Yeah. Like I don't know what that experience is like, but it's also like that doesn't mean that nothing you. Do, do has any value because yeah. you have like some cheat code or something yeah and I'm, take away about 90 percent of hardcore and punk you like yeah. if that's the legitimacy oh, you're yeah, looking exactly. for because yeah we are mostly middle upper class white kids yeah. who got into this shit for, sure. for whatever reason yeah. i try I, my, my brother the musicologist um he was in like a rock and roll class and they had um he he showed me a, a essay that they had to read it and it was about 
this the sonic qualities of U.S. punk hardcore from 1979 to 1983. And I was like so excited to read it, and I and I gave him some feedback on it because it compared um the middle class out of vogue to minor threat bottled violence huh. and it was like or minor threat filler and um it was like um you know like the uh, they use some terms that i don't really i didn't completely comprehend but it basically said like a, a recording is it used the term wide and narrow and wide was basically like if if the sounds blend together mm. you know it's it's wide and if you can specifically hear each instrument it's narrow so it's like out of vogue wide filler narrow and i and i went to my brother I'm like uh, this is what you have to go to class. I, I like gave him all this ammo. I'm like, oh, you're gonna go to class to say this. You're gonna school everybody. It's gonna be awesome. I'm like, uh, minor threat. We're like kind of well off DC people. Mm. They could afford to go. Even it wasn't like you know, um, it, uh, Don Ziantara from Inner. You're like he wasn't this great studio or anything. But it was like it was a good studio. The guy had good gear. Mm-hmm. Knew what he was doing. He was right. an older guy. Whereas like middle class are from like you know probably scraped together like the money that they had and with some random guy who they could afford like a hundred bucks with and they just did like two songs live or whatever. Like the, the whole thing is based on socioeconomics mm-hmm. and my brother went to class and he's like completely got burned. Like you can't, you can't, uh, what I, I forget what they told him. Like you can't warrant that this change is, is due to like economics, but, like, but it is. Yeah. Why can't like, you? Listen to me. Yeah. yeah. I was, I was hurt that they didn't accept my oh. theory, but I think I'm not you, a musicologist, so I feel I like though if you like if you like went to school for eight years, got a degree in uh, you know anthropology and, yeah. and music as a minor or something, and then wrote a, a paper about the same exact thing, that'd be like hmm, interesting, good yeah. point, good point. <laughs> But just because it's like oh my little brother who plays music thinks that yeah like they're like oh no. Yeah, academia I mean, it, cannot accept this. There, there was some like legitimacy behind the, you know, not accepting it. But I don't remember, and I'm going to say that there is none because yeah. I'm going to say that I, I'm with you though. Yeah. I'm with you too, man. That totally, I, I never really thought about it, but that totally makes sense. That yeah. socioeconomic thing, and like, and I've brought it up like seven times in this interview. It's yeah. something that's like really like been highlighted, and it bothers me more and more. Like the the longer I get into it, especially like the lack of diversity and these days mixed with like a lack of anything real to say, you know, the fact that, you know, even if it was rich white kids at some point, they were still screaming for change. You know what I mean? You could use your shirt as a reference. Like, and at least these kids were like barking about something positive, you know, sometimes, or at least, you know what? I don't even care if it's positive, barking about something. They believed in something and it was kind of part of like this movement and now that that's even been sucked out of it a little bit, it's like, I'm like wondering what's there. And if it's just a bunch of people rehashing stuff yeah. at this point. But yeah. that could just be the old man sensibility too. It's, it's, it, the thing about that though is hardcore is so about itself and almost so self-aware that, you know, that the template has been laid since day one. And, you know, I mean, granted it's changed a little bit over time, you know, the late 80s got more positive and forward thinking and then the 90s got more metal and whatever but you know you look at everything and it's it's really hard to be original and not be completely criticized just for trying something different and, mm-hmm. and swaying away from the the original idea of what hardcore is but you know i think my, my favorite band of all time is youth of today and i think like the lyrics that they wrote are so incredible you know like 
to really think about the idea of of whatever you know um taking people not at face value and and like working together to make the world a more conscious caring society like that's huge Mm -hmm. that's like i really believe that they believe that themselves and it makes it made me believe it at a young age and it's still relevant to my life but then you think of like all the bands that came after them who were just kind of following that template that of like oh we care like we don't want to be racist be vegetarian like all this stuff it's kind of like i like it but there's like a a lack of sincerity yeah you know and that's a thing of like you the the hardest thing for me is to find a way to be completely and and vulnerably sincere and also have some like originality and authenticity Mm. because it's it's hardcore is is so regimented yeah you know and it's and I kind of like it for that, but I also kind of dislike it for that at the same time. Yeah, it's really interesting. It, it made me automatically think of, I don't know if you guys remember the band You and I. They were like one of the bigger yeah. Jersey. Jeff loves them. I think yeah. it's like a Jersey. Yeah. They, you know, I think for anyone who's really into like the early part of like emo and screamo, I guess they had a big pioneering influence in it. And they were a Jersey band. They came off a band called Instill. But long story short, when they would play... The singer and the guitar player, Tom, used to often, like, break down crying at the end of the set. I could never tell you if it was legit, if it wasn't. I knew those dudes, and they were super honest and seemed genuine about what they're doing, so I never had a reason to question it. And the people who were into you and I, I mean, fuck, this, like, moved them. And you and I were, like, their band. They would follow them everywhere, and they grew this thing. But there was that reactionary part of hardcore, especially at that time when it was pretty fucking macho yeah you know and there was a lot of fights and a lot of like you know machismo at shows and this type of thing and they were like totally belittled for it and and i think about it in retrospect and how fucking punk rock what they were doing was in the environment they were doing it in when like literally breaking down into tears was one of the most punk rock and like you said being vulnerable allowing yourself to be like vulnerably sincere to be real, like, this is our actual emotion. And the idea that, like, a bunch of people, more often than not, didn't feed off it. They just were quick to, like, make fun of it. So it's yeah. always something, I wonder what it is. What do you think it is that makes scenes like that so, like, that push out something like that so much? I don't I don't entirely know. I think the thing, there's definitely a fear of change. You know, it's kind of like we have this thing that works. Why Why would we want to change it? But I think it's also a thing of so much of the scene is wrapped up in idea of of what it means to be in the scene rather than the artistic expression of it. Mm-hmm. You know, like like I said before, like I, I really do like hardcore, you know, unironically, unashamedly. And but the thing is, like, there there is a point of me that realizes it's, it's restrictions, you know, as like a 25 year old. And, and like, to be completely open and honest, like, I, I start, I just started a band in the city that's, like, a New York hardcore band. Like, mm-hmm. I play in all these bands at home and stuff. And it's, like, I do all this stuff, but I recognize, like, there there needs to be something pushing it forward at the same time. And, mm-hmm. like, I, I try and play both sides of the fence. Like, with, with Title Fight, I'm the, the member of the band that's, like, yeah, we're a, we're a hardcore band. Oh, we have this, like, uh, chorus uh, pedal and clean par and like clean vocals. Yeah. So what? We're a hardcore band. Yeah. Deal with it. You know. And it's that's the thing to me. It's like the I, the thing about being hardcore is is that total fuck you. Sure. You know. And and the bands that 
in the last couple of years, like a band like um like Blacklisted, who their last LP, uh, No One Deserves a Beer More Than Me, was one of like the most punk things I've heard in my life. You know, it had like acoustic guitar parts. It had um like really th- this really like autobiographic, crazy deep lyrics, and it was coming from a band that was named after a breakdown song. Right. You know, like. That's the most badass thing I've. And you I've guys heard. have kind of done the same totally. thing. Well, I, had, I, yeah. like, I had someone yeah. recently say to me, "They're like, dude, like all the popular hardcore bands now don't sound like hardcore, like don't sound like traditional hardcore bands. Yeah. Like you guys, like Ceremony, yeah, like Turnstile, whatever. It's like none of these bands sound like what you think hardcore yeah. sounds like. But which, I think that's and, awesome. Yeah, you know, me too. I think that's really cool. Cause, I think your guys. I mean, on a personal level, I, I think your newest record is like. For me, the most fun. I like that record probably the most. Thank you. Out of your records, yeah. And um, and it's not because I think the old records are badass, and I think they're really cool. But I I noticed that about you on this record, and and that it does take a certain what like confidence in yourself, and like I feel like maybe if you didn't come from punk rock, maybe you guys wouldn't have been willing to make a record that was so honest to yourselves and yeah. like and stood out and you may have wanted to to um i guess like keep going with this the thing that you knew was safe yeah do you think like having that like hardcore punk ethos was one of the driving things into doing a record like hyperview or something yeah i think so yeah i think definitely it's um you know and and to me a big thing about like growing up and getting into music was my my oldest brother alex who who turned me on to all the bands i liked he would give me, you know, he would give me records to listen to. And he'd be like, I think you'd like this. So he would give me like, within, with, in the same, you know, handoff, he would give me Youth of Today, Gorilla Biscuits, Side by Side. And he would give me like Seaweed, Texas The Reason, um, you know, Sam I Am, like bands like that. And it wasn't explained like, oh, this is, this is hardcore and this is this mm. other thing. It was like, these are bands. Right, right, right. Check them out. I think you'll like them. And so I, I would listen to these, these records and I would get really into them and I would like side by side and I would like seaweed. Sure. You know, and like, it wasn't a thing of like, oh, this is like this kind of band and this is, this is this other, it, to me it was just all the same thing. Oh, this is underground music and I like it. That's yeah. cool. And it was so, presented to you like yeah, that. Yeah. It's, I feel like, yeah, the weirdest genre I feel like is like post-hardcore because it's basically just like hardcore that doesn't sound like hardcore, but it's like, yeah. it doesn't really mean it's it. It's confusing. Like, yeah. It's like, yeah. this is post-hardcore. I just knew I loved it. Yeah, that was yeah. like that was the whole thing when that stuff was coming out. I was like, it was this huge breath of fresh air to me, and I knew I wasn't supposed to like it that much. Yeah. You know what I mean? I knew like for like the world I came up in, like Jersey hardcore scene in like the mid nineties, and which, from my understanding, wasn't nearly as bad as the mid eighties. But like you know, even like some, I had a show where I booked Shift on the show and i was like this band is like blowing my fucking mind you know what i mean even beyond the fact that like they're from new york city there's a black guy playing bass a woman playing drums they're a three-piece they're like post-hardcore i'm like this is everything i want right now i'm so sick of all this other shit and like and i feel like these movements always happen in music and they're and i feel like you guys are part of one right now where like maybe kids and bands alike are a little sick of everything that's happening and wanted to move almost the same way the time around when Caven made their switch and started being a little more melodic. And there was a lot of bands that sort of followed suit. Like, do you think you guys 
maybe we're part of some like arc in like in in current hardcore like contemporary hardcore i mean it's that's that's something that's maybe too hard for me to say just because of my my point of view is is not an outside perspective you know right sure um i don't know i like to think that hardcore is in a really great place right now because there's a lot of bands doing a lot of different stuff and there's a lot there's a lot of bands doing traditional stuff that i love that i think are great there's a lot of bands experimenting with the form and pushing it that are really cool what are your favorite bands that are like doing standard good hardcore stuff um uh there's a band from california now called fury that are incredible um they do kind of more melodic kind of like dc to me it sounds like if uh if turning point wrote a record between the seven inch and the lp ah which is sick sounds pretty good actually. <laughs> yeah i like it yeah. a lot they're really cool there's a band from boston called no tolerance that they're just like very straight edge, very aggressive, kind of like Clevo meets, uh, you know, like late New York hardcore. It's it's really cool. cool. Um, there, there's a bunch of bands going on. There's a label that my friends do from DC called Monsters Delight, and they put out a bunch of demos and they do zines and stuff. And basically, everything that comes out of that label is something that I really like and support. And there, my my friends are on that label. My friends run that label. And it's just, it's a, that to me is like something that I feel very cool to be a part of because it's, uh, it's exciting and it's, it's, um, I think people doing something the right way, yeah you know, it's like everything is hand done. Everything is, is just like done for the purpose of we enjoy this. So we're going to make this available, you know, like, oh, this band recorded this demo. We're going to dub 200 cassettes and we're going to send them out ourselves. And, you know, we're going to have all our friends do the artwork and stuff. It's cool. great. Didn't you just... Didn't I read that you just started a label as well? Yeah, I started a label this year. Yeah, called it called Ex- well, it's I, I've done a label before too, and that that kind of fell apart. But okay. this is a label that I just started. Uh, put out a record for a band from Wilkesbury called Life O'Reilly. Uh, that came out, and we have two records at the plant right now that should be out by the end of the year. What's it called? Expressions with an with an X. Nice. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> awesome. I like it. It's funny. When I was a kid, my mom used to take me to a uh, hair salon called sheer expressions Whoa. written the same way that's sick nice. that's what made me think of it sheer i like the i was just sheer. In, well, linda was a nice lady she had a cool white <laughs> afro she was really nice i was just in williamsburg i think and or greenpoint and there was a hair salon called roots radical Ooh. which i thought was a pretty good rant decent reference. one yeah, decent one pretty good you you get your hair trimmed up there a lot i do it myself now <laughs> i used to i used to go to a place but you could get a fancy barber like beard stuff going on. I don't think I could pull it off, man. Not like you. What? No. I just shaved this morning for this. It looks good. Yeah, I trimmed up the burns and stash for yourself? everyone. Huh? Do it yourself? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I don't source out. Wow. Believe it or not, guys. Benny Impressive. still shaves his own face. Yeah. My own hands do <laughs> still touch my yeah, own face. The, the... Regrettably. <laughs> 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 I just thought of the beginning of coming to America now. Yeah. The royal penis is cleaned, your highness. <laughs> <laughs> I think we should end it with that. That's like yeah? the yeah. I was gonna just ask some questions about sponge baths. That was <laughs> that was my next step. Wait, let me see. What do you got? You got anything else? Benny always prepares stuff and I never prepare. Well here's anything. what's on the notes. Let me see if you wanna if you wanna talk about any of this, okay? There's a few. We already talked about Wilkesbury, Wilkes Bar. Bear. 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 I was, was going to talk about brothers being a rhythm section and if you have some sort of 
deep rhythmic connection because of it. I was going to talk about the fact that you play chords and bass riffs, and if you want to get into that at all. Or I read an interesting story this morning that they're using ketamine, a.k.a. Special K, as an antidepressant. And there's antidepressant clinics coming out giving people Special K. So if you had to choose out of those three topics... Two two of them are uh, pretty similar, and one of them is... It's really uh, yeah, not my expertise. But. Yeah, well, let's throw a wild card out there. I didn't know, you know, you seem like an interesting guy. I thought you might want to hit. Thought you might want to hit a hit a slider for the last the last one. I don't know. I like I like where your brain's going, Benny. Where's it going? Just know where mine would have gone. <laughs> I don't know. That's what I like about it. This is I opened the letter today, and this yeah. is this is what came and it out was uh, handwritten. Oh, first gaslight pun of the day. Man, I was waiting for it. I was waiting for it. Your Andy Rooney jokes usually come faster. (laughs) Didn't I see you in the Borscht Belt in 1968? (laughs) I think I did. (laughs) Sorry. That was uh, an old Jewish lady accent. I'm allowed to do it because my grandmoms were like old Jewish ladies. (laughs) So I'm allowed. I'm assuming your grandmothers were old Jewish ladies too. They still are. Oh, awesome. Good for you. Both in their 90s. Wow. Yeah. What, when my grandfather is like 93, the only thing he would eat at that point was matzo ball soup. Really? That sounds yeah. awesome, actually. Yeah. It was just the perfect thing for him. He just couldn't take anything <laughs> else. So He's like, I don't know how much more I got. He's like, I just want matzo ball soup every meal because I like it so much. Yeah. And I was like, respect. That's respect. Nice. I like that idea. You had matzo ball soup? Never had it. Oh, I'm a picky eater. You're in New York now, though. Basically, it's it's really easy. It's basically just like chicken soup with a big like doughy matzo ball in it. Yeah. I mean, it's you can't really like. It's not. It's not like anything crazy. It's not like grape leaf or yeah. something. I'd be willing to give it a shot. I'd like. I'd like to take you to like Juniors in Brooklyn and get you like a matzo ball soup. Maybe like. Um, what are those drinks? An egg cream. Yeah. An egg cream. Egg cream. That and then, uh, what should we eat? Like, blintzes or something? Blintzes and then maybe a cheesecake <laughs> yeah. to finish. Yeah. Can I come? Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's go to Juniors. We should pick a day and do it. Okay. Yeah. It'll be like, you're welcome to New York, even though I'm from New Jersey and he's from Ohio. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's the most New York thing. It not is. being from New York. Yeah, that is true. Yeah. It's authentic. At least, my, at least my parents are from here. You don't even have that. No, not at all. I'm not. <laughs> I'm not even going to pretend. My parents escaped New York to have a yard in New Jersey, that common tale. Yeah. Yeah. Good story, huh? It's Steven's story. We were supposed to be interviewing Ned. I yeah. feel like we're always getting, getting <laughs> off track here. This. Yeah, this is all right. This goes back to my timidness. So you guys want to do some Special K and see if it makes us less depressed? It's worth a shot, right? I mean, it, I yeah, if you want to right. tackle this one. All right, kill this interview. All right, let's go do Special <laughs> K right now. Thank you so much to Ned Russell from Title Fight for Thank coming you, by. Thank uh, you. Title Fight does not have any shows right now. They just played a Thanksgiving show, and it was sold out, so you probably didn't go. Sorry. Some uh, people went. Some people went. It was if sold you did out. go, tell us about it. Yeah. Send us an email or a, a, a missive to facebook.com slash track. Right. Or tweet at Jonah. Or tweet at me or tweet at Steven or tweet at Going Off Track or tweet at Soundway. tweet at Brad. He's Soundway. Are you still That's Soundway? what I just said. Yeah, yeah, I am. I don't know if you switched it up. I don't think I've post anything and tweet at brad and tell him to tweet more yeah (laughs) that's what you should do um also thanks to everyone who's donated a dollar 
has helped with our server costs. Yes, it's been really great. Um, and thanks, everything, Ned. Thanks to thanks to Stephen and Brad for just being cool. Thank, Thank you, you Jonah, Jonah, for doing. Come on, guys. Talking to everybody, making being. Thanks to Jonah for being so cool that everybody likes you and wants to come talk to us. Oh, and also <laughs> thanks to Benny for guest hosting this episode. I Benny, mentioned that earlier. but Benny's awesome. I feel like that just goes without saying at this point that Benny's people kind of guest hosting and he's awesome. So yeah, um, that's pretty much it. Uh, thanks for listening, and we'll be back next week. Bye. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowl and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, ninety-six percent replied that Bowl and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a thirty-night guarantee. Plus, get fifteen percent off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code Buttery. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for fifty to eighty percent less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at fifty dollars, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.